Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. So what, uh, where do you like to hunt out of state? Everywhere. Um, I'm hoping to get to hunt Florida at some point for deer and turkeys. I'm a turkey fanatic. Um, Turkeys I can understand. Yeah, Yeah. I live for turkey hunting, actually. I like it more than whitetails. You don't have high expectations for the deer here, do you? No, I'm looking for an experience, and that's pretty much what I'm out for. Uh, I'm more about the adventure when it comes to anything more than... 90 minutes away from my house, man. I say, um, yeah, we could definitely put you on an experience uh, of a hunt that's uh, <laughs> that we just we just got back from um, a couple years ago. Not, yeah, last season I killed a was it six and a half year old, yeah, five point. That was a out six there. point. Was it a six point? Yeah. Uh, you got the rack at your house. I don't have it here. I need to get it finished getting it done. How's it, what's your sensitivity to mosquito bites? <laughs> Dude, so sweat. I I hunt the Missouri's full of mosquitoes. I hog hunted in Florida, and that was a trip. As soon as the sun went down, those fucking things were everywhere. And then, um, where else did I go? I did the early velvet hunt in Tennessee this year, and that's like mosquito central. So I would imagine that that's probably somewhat similar to florida since there's a lot of like like our november yeah they they were uh on the the wma i killed my buck on this year they were so bad that when i walked in like scouting before the hunt that if i stopped for 10 seconds i probably no shit had 250 to 300 mosquitoes on me I mean, I was slap-covered head to toe. And we've had one spring like that. I will never forget it Uh, here in Ohio. It just just wouldn't quit raining, and it would, like, rain. It it was Florida. I mean, it would rain, and then the sun would come out, and it'd be 80, and then it'd rain, and it'd be 80, and it was just a breeding ground for them. And where I turkey hunted is super flat, and it was just standing water everywhere, and... The last day of the season, I was stalking a gobbler, and like 
as soon as I stop, just hundreds on my pants legs, my arms, my face, and I'll never forget raising my gun up and mentally preparing myself to saying, hey, this is your last opportunity. You could tag out and have one of your better seasons. It's a good bird. Just let him bite you and shoot him. And I remember <laughs> one in particular, one in particular just must have hit a nerve or something up on my face. And I remember like squinting my eye and gritting my teeth like, oh, shit, that, that one actually hurts a little bit. <laughs> and I shot the bird and then quickly, you know, got them all off my face. And I looked like I'd gotten to poison ivy or something after that. It was crazy. I can tell you when I turkey hunt down here, I walk around smelling like a can of off. Yeah, I'll bet. Much. <laughs> yeah, I'd I'd probably come down with two thermocells, a damn, uh, what they call it, citronella candle. You better come down with a gallon of permethrin too to keep yeah. the ticks yeah. off of you. Yeah, yeah. I what started a- mixing my own and and. Uh, yeah, we just buy the cattle my version and. Same. You yeah. know. Yeah. You know what I found yep. too though is uh, <clears throat> I started started taking my old thermocell pads and soaking them in the permethrin mix, and it works better than whatever thermocell is putting on there. Oh shit. I think Are that's we what thermos right now, by the way. Uh, we have been for about three minutes. Okay. Minutes, All right. So. Cool. Um, dude, that's pretty. That's pretty genius, actually. I that so worked. I, mean, I got might to be dead in two years, but <laughs> hey, you know what? I looked at it this way. I was like, "What's the worst going to happen? What's it going to do? Give me cancer?" Right. What doesn't give you cancer these days? I don't think you want to question. I think the list is stuff from ticks and mosquitoes too. Right. But I don't know, man. That. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like Jim said, I don't want to get cancer, but according I think, to the state of California, plywood will give you cancer. So right, something in there. Well, will. it's California. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I want to know what doesn't have that listed on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, the California warning. Yeah, yeah. I think the California warning is basically if somebody used your product and happened to get cancer sometime during their lifetime, you might be guilty. So. It's nuts. Everything. According to California, cancer. you could probably get cancer from being this close to these microphones. Probably. I wouldn't doubt it. Was it the N95 warning? I don't know how people live out there, man. No, I thought it was proposition something or other. <clears throat> Who knows? But <clears throat> I don't know, man. I, I When we went on that hunt uh, a couple weeks back, like it, we had a day. I was like, dude, I'm carrying a can of Comfortable with me. And I brought my thermosel and a can <laughs> off. I was like, if this doesn't do it. Yeah, I'm just hey, playing the wind and spraying with off. You started telling about that hunt a little bit earlier. So it's on an, it's on a series of islands, and oh. I want from where we put the boat in, which is really the closest point to the biggest island. It's a five mile run. Yeah. So yeah. they only give out fifty permits. It's five miles of there. Mm-hmm. Yep. No. Mm-hmm. Just shy of it, but uh, five miles to where you're like. I pick it up every year on redraws. I just buy it, and then we go. There's really only one island you can actually get onto because everything else is so thick and wet and wet. Uh, But that island's what was it? Eight hundred something acres, something like that. Yeah. And uh, on the eight hundred acres last this year, there were five in our party, maybe ten people on it. Wow. So, it's not too That's terrible. Slick. But I, there's only uh, one way in and one way out. Ah. Uh, so, when you pull up, you know who's there. Because they can't <laughs> park anywhere else except for where you're parked. But also, you because there's only one way in and one way out, that's where the game board sits. We did run into him this year. Really? Mm-hmm. 
Isn't that pretty cool down there? Hey, I haven't had a bad experience here in Florida with a game warden, no. Okay. Yeah, I haven't really, so far, knock on wood, haven't haven't had a bad experience with a G-Dub yet. But I also, I'm really like weirdly by the book just because of the whole online thing. Like, well, other than it being the right thing to do, right? But like people, if anybody sees you doing anything even remotely wrong, they're going to crucifixion they'll discredit anything you ever did yeah. oh yeah so, no we, we we sometimes joke about shit but we're all by the yeah. book guys and i don't yeah. think it's because we're that worried about the podcast per se we're just that way and you know if you're if you're not in the log if you know if, if you've not had run-ins with wildlife officers they just they just keep rolling but i imagine those guys that have had like six interactions <laughs> oh yeah they're just inviting more scrutiny you know yep it's it, uh it's interesting. You you kind of develop relationships with them, and then you end up finding out about little like tips and hot spots and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I uh, when I walked up and the game warden was sitting there, and uh, he goes checking my stuff, and he says, "William Krebs." He said, "Ever run into you before?" I said, "I don't know who you think I am, but I'm not that guy." <laughs> <laughs> and he just started laughing. I said, I, "I don't know that. As far as I know, I've never run into that you before." Um, but probably giving me a call, but yeah, probably ran into you. That's where he got it <laughs> no, to the last only name. Cause I got the law called on me. I didn't even do anything wrong. <laughs> I found, cause I got the blue crab trapper on mine. Not that I spent a whole lot of time doing it, but because I got the blue crab trapper on there, I was like, Oh, you run the crabs. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Once or twice I have a year. blue crab and stone crab and I still have yet to put a pot in the water, but it's free. <laughs> so I add it to it every year. Yeah. But I found that they noticed that it seems, it seems, I don't know, man. It seems to like elevate you, your woodsmanship. Like, Oh, you must be serious. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I got my, I got my buoy numbers. All right. We're, I know. I mean, I know what I'm yeah. doing, except I don't even own a buoy, but it's cool. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, before we get any further, though, let's introduce everybody who we got around the corner. I'm your host, Will Krebs. We got Jim in here tonight. Yes, sir. We got Jordan. I'm here. Let's get it. We have the prodigal son has returned. <laughs> Briar's back in the studio. How y'all doing? <laughs> and we've got uh, Mr. Chris Leppert. Uh, and we're talking about an absolute stud of a buck he put down. Uh, we'll say up in the uh, up in the Yankee States. <laughs> Yankee States, the old Ohio. We can say Ohio. It's it's fine. Um, I appreciate y'all having me on and uh, the kind words. It's it's been a crazy week. Um, it just kind of hit me yesterday, actually, after Will came down and and he drove from PA to score the deer. He's crazy. Um, and ended up scoring 172 uh, even and. Uh, that was without being able to count some things just because of how the rack is structured. So, I mean, it's has like 185, 190-inch frame, basically, but it it scores 172, which I'm not going to complain about. It's my new number one deer, so it's, it's off of public land as well. By the photos, it's blatantly obvious you guys are in the rut right now. Yeah, yeah. So we were... Um, so when I killed him... It's like pretty much nearing the peak of what I would call the pre-rut, where like scraping activity is about as serious as it gets, and they're just about ready to dump everything to go spend time with those. Um, right now, 
they're on does pretty good. And while I won't call it lockdown, I expect it to be pretty quiet this weekend until midday, unless you get, you know, that buck that just doesn't have anybody yet or something. Um, it's going to be, going to be a interesting weekend in Kentucky. Ooh, you going to Kentucky? Yeah, I'm going to do some water access in Kentucky and see how that pans out. I, like, I say like, I have to say though, the uh, uh, Veterans Day weekend when I hunted in Kentucky was the weekend most of the time to be there. Yeah, I mean, it it really all depends, man. So probably your best time to have a really good chance at catching a cruising good buck, uh, especially midday, mid morning, mid afternoon. But for me, for a deer that I want to kill that isn't really cooperating and you know like so i'll just i'll kind of break down what happened with this deer so i saw this deer in may and i could tell that i had something weirdly special on my hands i was practicing with a new dslr camera i bought for our business to be able to take like good videos of the seminars and stuff at our show and i was just filming deer where i hunt scouting and you could see the beams when I got it home and put it on the computer. You could see the ble- uh, beams were split in like three areas on both sides. And I'm like, what kind of mega freak is this thing? Like he had huge bases and uh, brows and everything. And I'm like, I, I don't know what the heck's going on here, but that looks like a deer that could be something special. Well, I really don't think I ever saw him again that I'm aware of and I had some unexpected pressure opening day in Ohio Uh, last year I killed opening day on public land in Ohio first sit this year tried to do it again had some guys sit pretty close to me opening morning and uh, while that was depressing it kind of led to all this so I went one more sit and then was like okay you know, we got a time to shift. So I shifted my attention to a different area, figured out how basically the deer were avoiding the pressure and was so confident that I painted up like I'd never paint my face. And I was like, we're going to go in here like a damn Viking warrior and kill a deer today. <laughs> and I crawled up a secondary ridge, went up the backside of a maple tree, and uh, I'm a one sticker a lot and uh, I one sticked up there and he came out at I don't know like 7:20 I mean it was like 45 minutes or so before dark broad daylight just strolling you know he I had probably just missed him standing up out of his bed like I was probably sub 100 from his bed and it's about a 140 inch 8 pointer he could be anywhere from 138 to 142 roughly and um, I missed him, plain and simple. Uh, misjudged the yardage, couldn't couldn't really get him ranged in time. So it was time to start all over and shift again and start scouting and find another deer to hunt. So I found another area that had some red oaks raining, and I found some good scrapes, a really big scrape hunter. Um, but I normally find my scrapes in... February, March, April, you know, June. I, they're not scrapes that you're finding now. 
And uh, I put a camera on the scrape, and five days later, he showed up. But where I was kind of leading you guys is I never got a daylight pic or video of that deer other than that day in May. Other than that, I never got him even relatively within two hours of daylight. Um, they were all super late at night, early morning. And so it was one of those things where like, I couldn't just, I, I didn't have the real estate to go, you know, I squeezed in by private. So I couldn't really like go find his bed and hunt him and be super aggressive. So I really had to kind of do what I call bringing private land tactics to public, public land and kind of stacking the odds. So now, like now I, I read that in your story and I, I, I okay. want to interrupt you. Okay. And I want to know, what do you mean by bringing private land tactics to public? So I, I hunted private land my whole life and here in Ohio, you can corn deer. Um, I, I started doing corn piles and stuff probably in like 20, 2015, I think it was 2016, something like that. 2016. And, uh, I got some pretty good encounters with deer, but for the most part, that would be at the end of October, early November. You might get, you know, a couple times in daylight on camera or maybe in person. But for the most part, those deer were always coming in nocturnal. And I don't align with the belief that deer, like a buck, is nocturnal. Like, they are, they move all day, every day. It's just that they don't move far from their bed. And more often than not, when you're on private or like small, small parcel public, um, you don't have the real estate to go find his bed. So on private land, you know, I would always try to line as many of the, you know, variables up, stack the odds in my favor, like something like a seven or eight degree plus temp drop was always good. A climbing barometer, especially if you could get it up to like 30.2, 30.3, um, overcast versus sunny just all kinds of different things uh and of course here recently i've really taken to the red moon but i also think that that's just like a variable like it's not all deer don't travel 400 yards from their bed during the red moon or something so um it's just another thing that really gives you the confidence to go in there and hunt and do as well as you can basically you know do it the right way but also um, all those variables lining up together give you a good chance to get that deer to show his face in daylight, especially at the end of October and beginning of November. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have you seen the the recent studies from I think it's the Missouri Deer Lab that shows Mississippi Deer Lab? Yeah, with all the different yeah. buck beds. All oh, for the one buck. <clears throat> it's Just, incredible. Just when you think you've got his bed figured out and you realize that what they showed you there was you you may have one of his beds figured out. Yep. Uh, and but. the 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 thing that's really been difficult for me to accept, too, is like, just like all of us, each deer is different. Some are bullies. Some are little babies that don't want to fight, and that could be a 180-inch deer. But when you see him with no tore-up ears and a clean rack that's not broken up, there's a reason. That's the one that you basically don't want to grunt at. I, um, I was going to go say, ahead. you know, when you talked about going to Kentucky here coming up 
I shot a 13 point. Uh, should be popping up this weekend sometime. It was right. It was Veterans Day weekend, and I took a couple extra days off of work. I hunted five days straight in an area where I had rubs and uh, big rubs and scrapes. Uh, and I was hunting on a, about midway up a ridge, and I I could hear bucks fighting in the bottom, but I couldn't see. And every time I'd hear it, I'd get a buck come through. I passed a nice eleven point, young eleven point. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, after I watched him go past one morning, I decided that whoever was winning the fight wasn't going to come out of the bottom, and I switched from hunting on the ridge, and I moved down into the bottom. And I wasn't, in, I wasn't in my stand 30 minutes before I shot that buck. Yeah. Um, but going, he was one that was looking for a fight. Side. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, bully bucks are a thing and more often than not, it's the broken up tatter eared, you know, 135, 130 inch eight point that has you know, thick mass and everything. And he's yes. built like a damn donkey that, and he's, he'll run big, big deer off that, it's uh, that 13 crazy. point I shot dressed out at 230 pounds and maybe has a 13 and a half inch inside spread, super tall. Everything's palmated flat, just nasty, nasty mass on him. And when he, I, I watched down that bottom and it was this is like 300 yards. I could see straight down uh, the bottom, and I watched him a big body go between two trees. At the end, I said, "Well, I said, buck or doe, that deer's dying today because that's a big <laughs> old deer." And uh, then it turned and came towards me, and I watched him come all the way to me from three over 300 yards out, and then I I shot him at 30 yards, and then again at 15 because he stopped a second time, just insurance. Um, yeah. but. The whole time after coming out of there, he had his ears laid back, neck stretched out, just looking for somebody else to get after down in that bottom. Yeah. Some of them just want to fight, and it's weird. A lot of them, they'd rather go looking for love. but And that's the thing. Like, every single one of them are different. Some of them will bed wind to backs, others wind to face. I mean, there's just so many variables. And, like, going back to your point, uh, with the, what is it, like Mississippi State University Deer Lab or whatever it is, like when I get a deer on camera, it, it was weird paying attention this year. Like there would be a day where I'd have a bunch of bucks on camera and then the next day would be dead. And then the next day I'd have a bunch of bucks on camera and it's like you could probably go in there, you know, if you got them on camera at five, six, seven in the morning or whatever or that night, you probably go in there and kill them that day, but the next day they're gone. So that clearly it's very likely that they're on a different bed, which I believe more often than not does have to do with, with a, you know, a food source, wind direction. It just all depends um, how things are set up. But I hunt a lot of hill country deer too. I don't, I don't do a lot of flatland hunting, which is completely different. So were you, committed to trying to kill that deer after seeing it in we say may uh in may no um i had a deer that i had three years of history with now had i seen him over the summer hell yes i would have um and it's really kind of a blessing in disguise because had i seen him well everybody else would have seen him too so he did a 
one hell of a job wherever he was summering, which I'm pretty sure was pretty remote and on private. Um, but once I got a video of that deer on October 15th, like I had plans to hunt all these different states. I went and scouted Missouri by myself this year. I scouted Illinois, scouted Indiana, scouted Kentucky, Tennessee, Ohio, and I was going to go to West Virginia. And after that, I was like, okay, let's push all our chips into the middle of the table here. We're all in. We're like, this isn't just 140, 150 inch deer. Like he's pretty special deers, public land deer. And I think I have a good shot at killing him if things go right. But again, can't stress it enough. Like I felt confident. I felt like I was in the game and never in the game, if that makes sense. It's very weird to describe. Because when you're not getting daylight pics or videos, you're not able to glass that deer, nothing. You're basically just praying to the Lord above that your game plan's going to work at the end of October, early November. And it ended up working, and I actually killed him on a red moon. Uh, so there's a... I don't know how much you guys get into all this nerdy shit, but... There's a major and a minor. So the major was in the morning, and I killed him in the evening during the minor, which actually lined up a little better. But uh, Talking about feed absolutely, times? Like the major uh, and minor yeah, feed? Well, basically, so the red moon, it, I mean, I think that's what it does is is gets them up and out of their bed quicker. Therefore, I, I think it triggers something to do with hunger. But... um. It's the meridian pass and is when the moon is at its peak, both overhead and then underfoot. So the overhead is the major and the underfoot is the minor. So when it's directly underfoot, that would be your minor feed time, I guess. But, and this is supposed to be huge with fishing too, but uh, then when that lines up with like the last hour of daylight, you're in the money. And it literally lined up with that. And when you know it, that there's there's one other thing that I feel like is very, very important when you have terrain. I cannot speak to flatland hunting, even though I would I would strongly argue that they use them, too. I just couldn't explain how I think thermals are like the gospel of the Lord when it comes to deer movement. Um, when I feel the thermal switch when I feel that cold air sucking downhill, it's a, it's just a matter of time. Like I basically say a lot of times I whisper it out loud, like, all right, he's up, like, get your bow ready, get everything ready. Cause he's coming. And the thermal switch happened. I had a couple of does come in behind me on a trail and they caught a whiff of, at first I thought they smelled me. Then when I thought about them, like they didn't, they didn't hit my wind. They smelled the dough and heat that I had put out. And the the does really don't care for that because they basically know all hell's about to break loose um, when the bucks smell that. And they don't, this time of year here in Ohio, the does look like they've been hunted for 17 <laughs> months straight. They've been pushed, ran by every damn buck in the woods 30 times. So they're very on edge. And they never blew. They never threw their tails up. Nothing like that. Didn't run off. She just simply looked uneasy. And 
turned around, made a 180, and went back the way she came. And then I heard footsteps coming from where they came off the hillside. And that turned into trotting and then tending grunts. And I, I remember just kind of praying out loud, like, please, God, let let this just be a good buck. Doesn't even have to be a shooter. Like, I love seeing deer, but I'm kind of done with the yearlings and two-year-olds. Like, I want to <laughs> see something that kind of gets me a little jacked. And the way it was set up, I had a scrape that I had found about a week prior that popped up. I'd got that deer on camera in a different area real quick after I put my camera up and I pushed back a little bit into the thicker stuff. We got a lot of honeysuckle here Mm. and I found that scrape and I thought, you know, this is probably him. There were multiple scrapes right there. There were a bunch of Buckeye trees sassafras trees just snapped i thought these are awfully violent this is different this looks like something a big deer a pissed off you know deer would do so after you know getting pressure after pressure after pressure on all ends of this wma said man you ought to go in there in the middle of the pressure you know it's not perfect it's not cold out today but go up in there this evening check that scrape and if it's open looks like something's coming into it just get on the downwind which for me is you know downwind of the thermals the way the thermals are going to suck past it get on the downwind side of that scrape and get to where you can shoot the scrape and you know halfway decent around it well it's so thick i couldn't really hunt more than like 15 yards away so I put my I put my one stick. I use a EWO Ultimate one stick with a three step aider from uh, Ultimator on it. I put it on the tree. That's about seven feet, and then I stood on it and hung my beast stand. So that's another foot, roughly. So I was eight, no more than eight and a half feet high, fifteen yards away from a scrape. So when those does came in, they got to like eleven or twelve yards and then turned around like they were. It was up close and personal. Well, when that buck came in, he came in the same way. He J-hooked that scrape. And I guess, I don't know if he had caught a whiff of that doe in heat or not, but he, like, was kind of walking around, and then I could hear him just beeline right for the scrape. So he could have been coming in there to check it. Could have smelled the pee, I don't know. But regardless... I had drawn my bow before I could even see him, and he got into view finally at 15 yards. It was so damn thick. And I saw that it was that deer, and I couldn't believe my eyes. And so he got into 13 yards, and I read the angle to where I was going to basically have to take kind of a frontal shot just inside the left shoulder to cross through everything. Well, he put his head down underneath a low-hanging branch and then picked it up, and I think because I was looking at his face, I lost track of his his body's angle, and he was basically facing right at me, and I didn't realize it. But I, you know, of course, because I didn't realize that, I put my pin just inside that shoulder and let her rip, and he took off like a bat out of hell. 
and then stood about 65 yards blowing at me like furiously you hit like a bitch dude blowing at me you punch <laughs> him, you punch him through the brisket no just like like literally here like just inside the shoulder Got not it. even in the cavity like basically cutting his shoulder off but i i didn't but if that helps explain it like my arrow never penetrated the cavity of the deer didn't go inside the ribs didn't hit lungs liver diaphragm guts this is this heart. is not this is not the story of the the big one you put down this is the story of the big one that i put down oh, so you you <clears throat> you chili dipped him met. and you still got him what's that you, you uh, said you chili dipped him meaning you, you 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 just you just scraped the surface and and and, he, and you still killed him so it keep in mind it wasn't on the outside it was on the inside of the shoulder Oh, right oh in, you severed right an artery. That, yes. Yeah. Right where that shoulder connects, there's something called the brachial artery. And that is a mean cut. Now, you have to know that wound in order to properly recover that deer, you know, with high odds. And the anytime you have an artery or anything, like it's not a let him bed down situation. You push the deer as much as you can. Especially if you have good blood. Keep his heart rate going. Yeah, yeah. Keep the blood pumping. Keep him bleeding out. If he lays down in clots, like they're going to die, but it's just a matter of, you know, if you get a hole to clot, it, it it's not going to save his life. But if that hole clots, gets leaves, sticks, whatever in it. He's hard to find. He's hard. Exact, exactly. So you don't want that to happen. And I've had this with a buddy's deer before in a doe that I'd shot. And my buddy's deer, we tracked for like three or four miles, literally. It was like a six and a half hour track during the night, and we ran him to death. But this deer was significantly bigger than that one. So I'm like gearing up for, you know, a 24-hour span of walking, basically. Like, I'm ready to, I'm ready to roll. And he kept, he'd go one way, and then he'd change direction, at one point, he went up a hill. I'm like, oh, my God. And then as I'm tracking him, he's blowing at me. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. This is not real life. <laughs> like, But the blood, and I'll send you guys some videos in case anybody asks. Like, Ray Charles could jog that shit. <laughs> it, it was everywhere. So I backed out to just give it some time and go get a buddy and get fresh lights and everything. So I was really prepared and then, you know, kind of dig in for the night and we came back and he had 180 again. And he basically went to go, uh, he, he crossed the water and went on to private or so we'd thought. And, we ba I backed out. I was like, well, I can't go knock on somebody's door at 2 a.m. You know, that's not like you're already, you know, on a fine line because if somebody's a hunter or whatever, they're going to be pretty sore when they find out that the deer that they too have been hunting or their grandson or whoever's been hunting just got shot and it's mortally wounded. So I'm like, let's show up with like a box of cupcakes or something, and 50 <laughs> bucks and ask if we can track our deer well i didn't have any help the next day so i went in and just tried to simply verify 
that it did in fact cross the property line. I'm looking, I'm going back and forth in my kayak, looking everywhere for blood and I can't find it. I'm like, what in the hell? I find a bed in the middle of some grasses out in the middle of the water. And I can't believe it because that deer had more than likely watched me come in and out of there a couple of times. But I never did find blood while going along the, the bank of the private. And I'm like, all right, where'd you, where'd you go? So I start going around this little patch of woods that's in the middle of the water. And I'm thinking I'm just going to, I'm looking for blood. That's all I'm like, we're going to track all day. And there he was laying. And he basically was a situation where I believe he just died in his sleep kind of thing, like fell asleep and didn't wake up because he had his head down, bedded down on his belly, legs folded. Like it wasn't the, okay, we expired and the deer's on its side with its legs sprawled out. You know what I mean? Right. So it was, it was crazy, man. I haven't, uh, I haven't been that emotional in a while. Um, normally hold it together pretty good and just kind of lost control there for a little bit. Cause I really thought, you know, with all the work that I did, kayaking in and out of this place and hiking and scouting and like i hang and tear down my set every time basically um just all the work and the stress and then you know the game plan of you know you're probably going to get one encounter at you know x time of year better make the most of it and then i was like man sure hope we didn't screw that up and it was just kind of a big relief plus i had sent the, the videos to some buddies and stuff and you know, people start rooting for you and then you tell them you shot it and they're, everybody's jacked out of their minds and you're like, well, stay calm because we don't have the deer yet. And you know how that goes. Shit happens. And you, listen, you can't text the BBD no. until you know you have the BBD. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I'm not even sure that I even say BBD anymore. I, de- I <laughs> definitely don't. Like yeah, that, that you're not going to get that. You're asking for it, man. If if you're getting that from me, you're getting it with a photo of me holding the dead deer. Yep. <laughs> yep. Cause oh, yeah. I, I'm not going to jinx myself. I, I know better than that. Oh yeah, man. So. so I got a question. Um, I know like here in Florida, we have the, this side of the Mississippi, Outside of New York, and by a very slight margin, we have the most public land. Uh, this side with a little over fourteen million acres of public land here oh. in Florida. We have like six hundred and sixty thousand in Ohio. We we got we got yeah. have almost that twenty minutes from the house. Yeah, we <laughs> we live twenty minutes from it's five minutes from my house. I have sixty six thousand acres of public land. Oh my. God. Now you say that, but it's not. It, it ain't. It's it's not. It's great. it's heavily run by dog hunters. Uh, See, that's that's the rough part. I, I hear about that, and I also uh, props to you guys because I don't know how much real public land you have because I hear about all this quota shit. I was going to ask you, you where you got to draw and you can't scout before, and you got like. Well, you're not days. supposed that's to simply, scout. No, that's not true. That's not true. You can go to the very large majority of any public land and scout it beforehand. The problem is if you go to like, uh, we'll say a rock Springs run, which is not by any means a secret that there's big deer out there. You can scout that any time of the year, Okay. but the main gates closed. 
So you're on foot. Ooh. Yeah. No e-bikes. Uh, you could probably yeah, e-bike. Yeah, well, you could get away with e-bike okay. on the on yeah. the main trails. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, when you're scouting outside of season, you're uh, you're a hiker. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was going to ask you because a lot of our stuff is locked up in quote unquote quota draws. We do have yeah. um, some that are a given, like the the national forest up the road from us, twenty minutes away from me, five minutes from Jordan. Um, that there there is a quote unquote quota for it, but it's a uh, you put in you draw said quota for it. It's yeah. mainly just to keep track of how many people are using that area. Um, but there are some that are hard to draw. Like I said, the place we hunted, they only allow well, like 50 permits. My buck. Yeah. That's another hard one. Yeah. But where we just hunted on the islands, there's only 50 permits. And then you wow. have a, what I say, there's about 40%, 40 to 60% that show up. So out of 50, we figured it's like 26 and we saw less than that. So there wasn't even 60% showed up for that. So. Um, but quotas, if you know where to put in for in Florida, aren't hard to get. And I, I hate it. It's like people putting in for gator tags. I haven't drawn gator tags and I've been putting <clears> in for 20 years for, uh, Lake Jessup. Lake Jessup and I've never, yeah, well, yeah, no shit. Dude, they issue two tags a year for Lake Jessup. <laughs> no, it's like 20, <laughs> it's but like 20, still, but everybody and their brother puts in for it. Right. So that's why you have in gator tags around this area. They put in for Lake Jessup. That's why you haven't drawn Lake Jessup. It's a lottery, the straight lottery system for gator tags. And there's only 20 tags available for that lake or, uh, so yeah, no kidding. You haven't drawn it because it's everybody like, puts in yeah, for it. It's like buying like, a ticket. That's a one out of 50 odds versus buying a ticket. That's a yeah. like one out of 20. Right, Lake Dexter's gotcha. Lake Dexter's another hard one to draw. Right, and so is George. George is pretty hard, but they're they're hard. But when you draw them, you kill some big gators out there. Oh, big! Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we uh, don't have anything like that. We don't have a lot of like draw places at all. It's just that's what I was going to ask you if, if yeah. how how public land in Ohio works. You just go and go. So it's really uh, as the premier state, um, you know, closest to all the masses. It's frustrating because, like, we're in an over-the-counter state. Our public land, for the most part, is is not a draw. Like, there's some, but it there's very little. Um, and the draw stuff, to me, isn't super appealing. I'm not saying you can't get good deer or whatever, but the odds for me aren't there just because there's people that can constantly hunt it, and they're like, okay, you have two weeks going to hunt the shit out of it and then the next guy's going to do the same and so on um and it's like it's good property don't get me wrong but just not my game i guess but uh it's a relatively cheap tag that's over the counter here and everything you just show up and hunt you can scout anytime you want and that's why like y'all in florida dude the whole not being able to just go hunt that blows I Listen, imagine that. You, you want to know what blows? Take Onyx, go to Florida, switch to 3D maps, and then pan yourself down. That's what blows. <laughs> what do you mean? If you look at 3D maps of Florida, when you look at Onyx, it's just flat. You're looking at oh, okay. yeah, it. It is the nothing. definition of flat land, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, man. If, if it's I'm not only... flat, it's down and it's wet. Mm. <laughs> you talked about thermals. Flat land once. 
You talked uh, about thermals, deer. and uh, yeah. I noticed a lot of that thermal, like the cool down when you when you get in the evening right around water. You can feel that suck into that lowland around mm-hmm. water. I know what you, exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you won't find that anywhere else unless you're within two or 300 yards of water. Yeah. I, now think, we, I think if one thing that I would use, and I'm, I'm sure you don't have this, but like I know you guys have like canals, for example. Yep. Those little, you know, oversized ditches. Um I'm a I'm a ditch specialist. Like most of my access where I'm going, I'm looking for a ditch with some shade. And it'll be just enough to pull. It won't be a strong pull, but it'll pull it away and it's it's almost unfair if I'm being honest cuz everywhere else you step up on the bank of that ditch and you're toast. But if you stay down in the ditch and you enter at the right time of day, it's pooling. That's, That's interesting. We don't mm, – here you don't have a lot of, uh, like, ditch canals, but we are we in – Further south, yeah. Yeah, yeah, further south you do. Here where we're at in Florida, we have a lot of uh, small rivers and creeks and unnamed. But when you talk about, you know, the National Forest and all them running dogs, those guys, they don't want their dogs to cross onto private property. So, and I've told this, and this is not, and I'm, I'm going to make it common knowledge, hopefully for guys that are like, I drew Ocala pipeline and I don't know where to hunt. And people are like, oh, they run dogs all over the place. Yeah, they do. But if you go to areas of the pipeline where you have a road that cuts off a piece of public land that either on the backside of that is private or is water. The dog hunters will get on that road before the dogs ever get into where you're hunting at and cut the dogs off. The deer keeps oh. going because they don't want their dogs to, A, cross a river they can't cross in a pickup truck, or B, cross on a private property, and then they have to try and explain that crap. So they'll cut in front of the dogs and cut the dogs off of whatever they're on. And once the deer gets past, you're golden. So are you hunting deer with shotguns with dogs down there? Uh, they either yeah. use semi-automatic rifles or a buckshot. Okay. Pump action Man. rifles. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's another, that's another uh, pretty common thing, too. It's so different down there. It is very Here, different. I try to Here do... We can't use I dogs can, at all. I can tell you, though, if you've never run deer with dogs, a lot of people uh, are... are They can be down on it. Ah, it's not, you know, the set and the other. But, man, that is the most... It's fun. It is the most family-friendly form of deer hunting I've ever seen. Because you you go out and you get with a group of guys running dogs, and you'll have 30 or 40 guys that run dogs together. And they'll rotate, you know, whose dogs are down or whatever. But you'll see kids from... Can't even walk. (laughs) out there riding around in car seats and then get out waddling around in the dirt. And I mean, it's everybody's there. Mama's there. All the kids are there and everybody stops. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's very, very friendly, family friendly. And a lot of those guys just want to listen to the dogs run. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I love watching hounds. And the other thing, man, I think gun hunting in general just brings out the camaraderie more. Um, here, We've got a lot of guys from the north, south, northeast. They want to lease property and, you know, have have a lease in Ohio. Um, And a lot of things are getting locked up. There's a lot of, uh, 
there's not many gun hunters anymore. And it used to be like we'd have family come up from Tennessee and all over the place, Kentucky, near the Cumberland Gap, and we'd do deer drives. And this was when the Ohio hunting experience was at its prime, if I'm being honest. Like, it's not even close to what it used to be. But that's all gone now. Like, a lot of guys are using crossbows and doing the archery thing. Um, I, I'd still like season. to go and, like, experience uh, the Pennsylvania flintlock season. That'd be cool. And hunt with a flintlock. I, I do, see, exactly. Like, that's what I'm about is, like, just the experience, the adventures. Right. And that would be badass. I, that's I'd be love – I like bow hunting. But I think my favorite form of hunting is definitely with a muzzleloader. There is there is a there's a different aspect. I mean, it, with today's muzzleloaders in all reality, like the, we hunted with Larry, although he missed a deer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a muzzleloader that that's a four hundred yard, five hundred yard muzzleloader, forty five caliber, the uh, Acura MRX. I mean, it looks like a dang rifle. And it's wow. capable of doing that in the right hands, not Larry's. Um, <clears throat> but you still have the failure point of this is black powder, moisture, which is a big yeah. thing we deal with here. You're out. That, that's it. But I've got I got my eye on doing a hunt out in uh, Idaho for elk. It, with a muzzler, and I don't know if you've ever looked at that, but Idaho requires you to you you have to you have to have an exposed primer. You can't shoot two hundred nine primers. You have to use the oh the, the caps cap, the nipple, yeah. You got to shoot number elevens. Can't use uh you have to have pellets. an exposed prior primer. Got to shoot the nipple caps. Can't use pellets. Have to use powder. Can't use has Same. to be an entirely lead bullet. No scope. I was like, boy. Let's yeah. go. I'll go. The true, the true muzz hunt. Let me let me get a let me get a Hawkin, and we'll we'll Jeremiah Johnson this. Yeah, <laughs> so it's it's gonna be a time. And but I got buddies that live out in uh, California that go and they bow hunt Idaho, and the guy has, has been successful several times bow hunting. He's like, but every time I'm there, he's like, I'm always close enough to elk that I could take it with a muzzleloader. He's like, we need to go yeah. put a muzzleloader hunt together. Let's do a muzzleloader hunt. Eighty yards. Psh. Game on. I was like, dude, I'm your man. I just got to find a Hawking kit yeah. that's not so stupid expensive. When did they get so expensive? They used to be cheap. Dude, a freaking Hawking kit's like five fifty, six hundred dollars I mean, you could pick And I got to put it together. Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. I was going to say earlier when you were talking about, like, I'm not going to drop you guys pins, but you, I'm, I'm more than willing to help. I'm like, pfft. You're talking our lingo, like, hey, we got to go there and bust butt and and actually like put some sweat equity in to make something yeah. happen. Like, we're all about embracing the suck. Yep. I uh, as I'm dragging that deer the other day, trying to get him in my kayak, I caught myself <laughs> complaining for a second. I was like, man, this sucks. Wait. <laughs> No, it doesn't. <laughs> we we prayed for the suck. This is what we want the suck. So, um, the scouting for me is honestly my favorite part. Uh, you know, the kill is such a small part of it, and it's it's fun. You know, that's that's what gets you. You know, on the 
on the podcasts, right? No. Right. Uh, yeah. But the scouting really, like deer killed in February and March and April and all that, like all the different scouting that I did all year. Um, I did over 200 miles of scouting this year. And like I'm approaching 40 in May. My ankles and knees are shot from side hilling and walking through slimy rocks and everything else. So, but, uh, it's just something I love to do. I love figuring out the deer and being able to use my mind and kind of beat them that way. So, uh, it's, I'd gladly go scouting with you guys, you know, postseason and just kind of show you essentially what we're looking for here and, and, you know, what I would do to target an animal, which I don't know what your guys' best deer are and what, what you'd want to try for up here. I know that just about everybody that comes here that isn't from a state that holds pretty big deer, um, you know, if you haven't got to look at them a good bit, like 130-inch deer looks like 160-inch deer to a lot of people. Like, it's a big damn deer. Um, but I always tell people, if you can go out of state and kill a Pope and Young in any state, you're doing pretty good. Like, I know that's tough to accept for somebody going to Iowa. Sit tight. We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors. As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel. From business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters, we all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammis' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Rome is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050 or 843-324-1727 or email roman at romanvhamas.com. That's R-O-M-A-N at R-O-M-A-N v h a m m e s dot com offices florida and south carolina the under pressure outdoors podcast is brought to you in part by hang free with a mission to provide top quality products for the best possible price, Hang Free believes that the saddle hunting experience is worth more than money. They create both tried and true products as well as debut new items to the saddle hunting community, creating a community of saddle hunters that don't have to break the bank to participate in a hobby that they love. Do yourself a favor and join the Hang Free family this hunting season. They truly have everything you need. Don't forget to use offer code UPO10 at checkout for 10% off your order at hangfree.co. Call me spoiled, but I know that the 
the first buck I ever killed with a bow. It's got to be damn close to Pope and Young if it's not Pope and Young. Never scored in, it. In Florida? No, hell no. I okay. shot it in Tennessee. I was like, damn, brother. <laughs> no. That's, that's good. I didn't kill my first Florida deer until last year. Oh, wow. Uh, is it but, that is it that tough down there? Or did you no, I go? didn't. So growing up, we hunted private land in South Georgia. That was okay. pretty much all. That's how we cut our teeth deer hunting. Um, and I really didn't start hunting public land in Florida until I guess I'd probably graduated high school. Um, and I had a buddy whose dad they ran dogs in the national forest, and I started hunting with him. Like, we'd get off work. We both worked for a grocery store. We'd get off work at 1 or 2 in the afternoon, load the bows up, head for the woods. And we'd hunt public land up there in the National Forest. And when bow season was over, then there was no muzzleloader season that we could hunt without a permit there. So we'd wait, and then dog season would come in. And then if I wasn't going to Georgia to hunt, I would go hunt with him because I was in the woods. And that's what I cared about, was getting into the woods. Um, and had a lot of fun doing that, but I was never successful because we can't shoot does here in Florida. What? For the most part. Yeah. (laughs) There's some WMAs, there's there's some management areas that allow you to do it during archery. Well, okay. So if you draw a quota permit during archery, you can kill does in a management area, but there are some management areas that are open without a permit that allow you to kill does. Most management areas that are open without a permit do not allow you to kill does during archery. If you're on private land, you can kill does during archery, and then you get a week. It's like a during, week. Yeah, week during rifle. Where you can, it's doe week, you can kill does. You can kill five bucks a year oh. in Florida. What in the hell are five, they doing? You can kill five deer total. All five <laughs> of them can be bucks, or two bucks and, and three does. Yeah, we are, we... <laughs> We are a one buck state. Our gun season doesn't open until the tail end of the rut after Thanksgiving. And there are no bonus bucks of any kind. You can kill six deer here. One will be a buck and the rest will be does. You can kill six does, but um, you can only take one buck. And I am blessed that we have that rule. Uh, It seems like a lot of the southern states have multi-buck multiple buck tags as well as elongated gun seasons. Listen, I wasn't I was living in Tennessee when they switched from 3 bucks to 2 and you'd have thought the whole world ended there. Yeah. And not to mention the the unit that I hunted in in Tennessee, you could kill 2 bucks in a 2 bucks per uh, per season, but you could kill 3 does a day with no limit on the season. <laughs> Damn. And people are going, well, how am I going to get a meat? And I'm like, dude, kill those. Shoot the slick heads, man. (laughs) I'm over here going, I already killed two does today. So if five step out, I can only shoot one or I have to shoot a buck. Damn. (laughs) I I need to go back to the podcast that we did with Lindsey Thomas Jr. Um, But... You know, we, we complain a lot about not being able to shoot does, but he made it, uh, as smart as he is with, with deer and everything like that, he made it more so understandable. And a lot of it has to do with, especially in our area, 
we don't have like our forage our natural brow is just not there for the health of the deer and we don't have uh any sharecropping here so they're just not it's harder for them to populate and grow and all that man i how is there not enough natural browse in florida it is houses it, it, it's there, yeah houses it's there but the 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 brow doesn't have the nutrition oh it grows in okay. sand yeah it's growing okay. in, in what we would call sugar sand okay let's wow. take a let's let's take a quick break So when you guys are hunting down here in Florida and you do your scouting, what are you even looking for when you're trying to get on deer down in the Florida swamps? Transition areas. Because okay. you the the deer do exist in the swamp, but just like any other hoofed animal, too much exposure to water, they're gonna get hoof rot. Sure. So they will hug the edge of that and then it's a hard thing to explain especially and i know like up in the from hunting in the hills of tennessee you can get into and it's hard to explain to a florida guy too that hey you can sit in the woods and see 250 yards <laughs> in the winter time um but down here you can climb up a pine tree across and see 800 yards across the palmetto flat Oh, wow. And it's just, but the problem is, is everything, the palmettos are probably chest high on me, and I'm six foot one. So, so you're basically going to see the deer's head if you're lucky. If you're lucky. Yeah. So I think one thing that's kind of panned out for me over the years, and that buck that I posted in the, uh, the mobile hunters page, mm-hmm. that was actually my first buck my first deer in Florida and my first uh, buck in Florida, my first public land deer. Nice. But one thing that I've noticed over the years in scouting public land in Florida is that there's something about a magnolia tree. I don't know huh. what it is, whether, whether it be a, a soft barked tree, but if you're going to start like, you start looking for scrapes and rubs and stuff like that. If there's a magnolia tree in the area, you can guarantee that there's going to be a rub on that magnolia tree and there's going to be a scrape underneath it too or somewhere near it. Well, that's like our beech trees here. That's same thing. So okay. here, here's something crazy about Florida. You can hunt the rut in Florida from late July to January. I've, I've seen that. That's freaking nuts and this is the crazy thing about uh a lot of the rut here in florida when you're talking south florida the deer go they rut based on water levels not air temperature what because if they they have to rut in july so they drop fawns at the right time of year when the water is low because if they dropped them when the water was high they would drown wow and you get up here into the, the zone C where we're at, and it's really comes in like late bow season, early muzzleloader. So rut here is past where we're at. Yeah, it was 
Yeah, you might still catch three weeks ago, late. month yeah, ago. Yeah, you might still catch yeah. some late road action, but and then uh, you go up into the Panhandle, where like the same as Alabama, we won't have rut in where we're at in Alabama until after New Year's. That's crazy. So it's it's a it's a really weird state. I know when I'm supposed to be in Alabama, it's like towards the end of the season, and it's supposed to basically be like peak of the rut or damn near. Yeah, my this will. Well, I don't know if I'll get to do it this year because I got a daughter coming in at the beginning of March. But next year, hopefully, uh, will be the first year I'll ever actually be able to hunt on my birthday, which is February eighth. So the season in Alabama actually runs into like the second weekend in February. You hope it goes past your birthday next year. Yeah, I hope it goes. (laughs) It goes past my birthday this year. I know it. I don't talk about it though. And she's like, nah, I think that's a little close. I was like, yeah. Oh man, we're fixing the head up uh, tomorrow afternoon. I got a seven year old with a real itchy trigger finger. (laughs) And uh, he's, he's chomping at the bit. He's uh, it's, it's still bow season in Alabama. But this weekend opens a youth rifle season in between bow and muzzleloader. Like the last weekend of bow season, muzzleloader opens the middle of next week. And uh, I was like, dude, let's go for it. We've got some little uh, spikes and six, but nothing special on camera. But he's like, I told him yesterday, we're out, you know, practicing, getting the right sight picture in the scope and and uh, the trigger squeeze and all this. He's like, I said, buddy. I said, what are you, you going to shoot? I want shoot a, I want to shoot a buck that I can, I can mount and hang on the wall. I said, how about, uh, how about we shoot the first one that ain't got spots when it comes out this weekend? <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that <laughs> a little later on. Let, let's get one under the belt and then we'll, we'll go from there. But he's got, he's got some uh, high standards. Yeah. I, I told him it had to be at least that big, that little six point thing. It's yeah. not very big. <laughs> That you never know. Hunts are the the best. Yeah, I love getting people their first deer. He's been my son has been hunting with me since uh, he was probably two is when I first started taking him. And at that time, we lived fifteen minutes down the road from a nine hundred acre lease that I had, and uh, that wasn't much of a deer hunting place, but it was a place to go. And you know, we had private property. Uh, Yeah, Briar could have killed a deer, but he left his gun in the truck. Yep. Uh, <laughs> no, I left. I, I left it in your truck. Left I was it in, in my, my truck. truck. Yeah, I could have stuck it right out the window just and shot him. But uh, it's he's been hunting with me, and he, he we've been duck hunting together, and uh, he's got a little four ten uh, that he hunt squirrel hunts with, and he's a he's a hunting machine. But this weekend, he's taking out the. AR fifteen chambered and six point eight SPC and we're gonna we're gonna try and put us a deer down. Or a pig. Or Love a coyote. It. Whatever's legal for it, him. Whatever's legal to shoot, moves. yeah. Yeah. I like it. I went and got him his own uh, harvest record today because I told my wife I said he ain't shooting on my tags. <laughs> this this is twenty twenty three. This ain't this isn't uh nineteen ninety seven when I started, you know. <laughs> we're not shooting on daddy's tags. He's shooting his own his own tags. I'll shoot, I'll fill my own when it comes to I was to say back then I don't know if we were shooting on dad's tags. I think we were just shooting. <laughs> uh but uh, yeah no he's he's so excited and I'm excited for him. Did you have to report him back then? No, you just wrote him down on the license. I'm excited for it too. I I told William it it's still bow season, and I'm like, 
I've been on the fence about bringing my bow or not, and I'm like, man, I think this weekend I'm just gonna uh, pack down the camera gear, and I'm just gonna try to capture the whole weekend rather than because for me, like when it comes to self filming, I'm I'm getting better at self filming, but I've done quite a bit of filming like for other YouTube channels or other people. Yeah. And I can film because when I'm behind the camera, I get myself like in the mode of being behind the camera. And I, I, I just grasp what I need to capture and I grasp everything. But then when you put a gun or a weapon in my hand, then I'm still trying to think about hunting and I'm trying oh, yeah. to think about filming. And I get myself all caught up and I said, you know what? I think this weekend I really just want to be in the mode to capture because there's going to be so much emotion with him. I think that's what's going to make it. And if I if I try to hunt, I'm not going to capture that. If he misses, you going to cut his shirt tail off? No. <laughs> did I tell you? Did I tell you? So I told him I was gonna. We just got we just got the yeah. You got all your shirt tails too. So uh, <clears throat> we just got this lease this year, and we were doing some work earlier uh, before season started, and then in the very beginning of bow season, and I walked past i was driving up to what would i guess what was their skinning rack it's just a four by four strung between two pine trees as i'm coming up to it i'm like what the heck is hanging from that dang skinning rack and as i get closer i realize i was like was a flag or something it's got minions on it from uh what's that the movie the the movie with the minions yeah um uh, despicable me that's it yes uh and i realized (laughs) it's a kid's shirt tail (laughs) Hanging from that skinner rack. I was like, man, that's cold hearted. That is just plain cold hearted. <laughs> Cut a little, like how little you got to be to be wearing a Minions t shirt. Cut your shirt tail clean off and hang it from the skinning rack. <laughs> just rub it nice. in your face every time you come up after that. Yeah. Oh, man. But uh, we're looking forward to it. It's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. But, <clears throat> good time. So, what, t- tell me about, the the day this is evening hunt you yes, killed that deer so mm-hmm. getting ready to leave the house what what was going through your head um so i actually wasn't even at the house i had i had hunted that morning and experienced some pressure coming off a private and uh decided well i was going to sit there all day and um I decided to get down, obviously, and went to lunch with my buddy. And then that's when I kind of convinced myself to go where I went. Um, When I was like, oh, yeah, we got pressure here, pressure here. Let's get in the middle, go check that scrape. I go in there, and the scrape's open. And I had had a beast gear shirt on, and um, I had my beast stand, and I was kind of half serious but half joking around because I'm like eight feet off the ground. I'm like, guys, I got my beast gear shirt on here. Check this out. I'm in the beast stand, eight feet off the ground, about to smoke this deer. And then the deer came in, and I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And I was like, hey, look at these videos, man. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta see this. So, um, but yeah, honestly, so I normally kill deer in like, one to three sits we'll sit like normally when i go in i'm i'm killing and it's early so this was more like just keep the confidence and keep the faith and keep 
bouncing around until you have your encounter. So I didn't really go in like, oh, but I will say when I found that scrape and the wind. So when I found that scrape and all the snapped trees and then as I was sitting there, the wind was all over all day and then it died and I felt those thermals start to suck downhill and I was like, man, this could be a good night. And then there you have it. I mean, it was. So uh, I did feel pretty good once I saw the scrape was open, like wide open, and uh, wasn't one of those one-and-done scrapes that you find at the end of October. So how often do you sit the same location? Uh, Say you do it in one to three sits. He's the mobile hunter. He runs the mobile uh, hunter. Yeah, so like I mean. I'm... I'm mobile AF, dude. <laughs> I mean, I literally, um, I mean, same tree, almost never, uh, within, so like I'll sit 20 or 40 or 70 yards away, just trying to catch something slipping through or whatever. But I'll be honest, normally I kill early and I'm dialed. Like I'll screw up and have the wrong tree. Sometimes or something goes wrong, of course, but more often than not, it's like today we're on a kill sit and now the deer's dead. But again, when you run into one that, you know, isn't playing the game you want. I normally also don't target like just a single deer. Like last year, I killed what I believed to be the most mature deer we had. It was the biggest bodied deer, but... It, it was only like 130 inches uh, as a double drop 12 pointer. And I had my number one buck come over the hill afterwards and the number two buck, both of which would be over 140. And they walked right by me on film. So like I was kind of depressing, but at the same rate, I couldn't be pissed because I shot my buck opening day, all that. So um, yeah, I really... I really don't like sit the same spot very much if I'm being honest. So another hot button question. How much do you subscribe to scent elimination? Zero. Okay, good. Okay. Like I said, look, man, when I went on that hunt a couple weeks ago, I I put that can of off deep woods in my bag. I said, I'm carrying a can of comfort. If if all else fails, I got the wind in my favor. I'm spraying down with off. I don't believe in any kind of scent killer at all. And I don't believe that most deer scent companies are doing things on the up and up. Um, So I'm pretty picky with that as well. Like, the only reason I use deer pee at all is because my friend's dad has a deer farm, and I know how he brings the does into heat and everything. So I know, and I've seen it work. I know it's legit, but it's also, like, you don't put it out and deer travel 17 miles. Right, yeah. Come get to you. Like, I'm using it to play the wind and play defense and hopefully distract him for a second. So that buck that I shot this year, uh, I had... It was a 16-day quota hunt, and I shot him on day 16. <laughs> he was the first deer I had seen, mm. and but I had kept the the problem with where I had the the quota area that I was in 
was it everywhere the sign was everywhere yeah. i mean it was it, it it's kind of split up into little blocks there's like little fire breaks and roads here and there and uh, i had hunted primarily the block that i killed him in um but i jumped a couple blocks and uh the morning that i came in the last morning i sat at a four-way road and I just debate. I probably sat there for five minutes and I was like, do I want to go to where I've seen this other sign and I feel like it's a good area or do I want to go back to where I've been but just change my strategy a little bit? Yeah. And something in my heart. And I had the, the afternoon before I had hunted that block and I had found some fresh rubs that were in that area and I was like, you know what go to that go to that same block and i sat there till 11 o'clock and he came out at 11 o'clock on the dot wow not where i thought he was gonna come out i was sitting on a fire break uh but i had sat to where i could see i had a lane behind me and i could see both ways down the fire break and i could see across and uh he came in behind me on the fire break and we've done some work with uh, 4S Wildlife Solutions. And Bruce from there has told me, I've talked to him several times. He's like, man, try this corn spike. He's like, I'm telling you. He's like, it's not an attractant. Or, you know, when you put it in the corn, it's supposed to be an attractant. But he's like, I use it as cover scent. It's not It's not bait. That yeah. There's no nutritional value to it. There's, it's simply a smell. It's like cover scent. Yeah. 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 He's like, I'm telling you, he said, I, I at the beginning of every season and even throughout the season, uh, I put it in my action packer and I just let my clothes sit in it. But the problem is here in Florida is it smells real sweet and we have a <laughs> lot of bears. Oh, God. Um, but something like in me was like, you know what, just try this this morning. And I, I put it out. Like I sprinkled a little bit of around me. I sprinkled it kind of on myself a little bit. And he came out at 30 yards. And for some reason, because this is my first year hunting in a saddle as well. Oh, cool. So rather than like slipping my whole bridge and turning to my left to get behind me, I turned to my right. So my bridge is like up underneath my arm up underneath my left arm which my bow is in that hand and i'm like all kinds of contortionist twisted around trying to shoot uh but i still managed to stick him i stuck him kind of low i think i must have hit i had to have got his heart uh just barely cut the bottom of his heart off because he didn't go but 60 yards and just it was Listen, straight like you said yeah we were supposed to well the rest of us that went on that hunt that we spoke about earlier, we're sighting in our muzzleloaders that day. And Jordan's like, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to sit long. And then he, I had a buddy that had a cell cam that was probably 500 yards from me. And he was like, Hey, good buck just slipped through there. Uh, but he's going away from you. And I told them, I was like, ah, I'm going to sit. There's a, there's a buck in this block. I'm staying. Yeah. So he FaceTimes me when he calls me when he kills the deer. And then I was like, have you gone down and looked at your hit sites? See if you got blood. He's like, ah, I think I hit low. I'm going to call the dog. I said, hey, 
before you do that, go look at your hit site and see what kind of blood you got. He FaceTimes me with this grainy ass, no signal having ass FaceTime. And I'm like, dude, if you need me to blood trail that deer, just hold the phone towards the ground. Like, I can see the blood trail on this grainy FaceTime video. There was blood everywhere. (laughs) Um, But that, like you said, I hadn't felt. I've shot who knows how many deer in my lifetime, and shooting that buck in Florida, first public land buck, was just, I'm going to drop the YouTube video, I think, on on Sunday. Uh, And I had so much audio editing to do because I think I dropped the F bomb probably <laughs> thirty seven times. Like <laughs> Oh, I feel you there. <laughs> yeah. I uh I don't do the uh the cover scent or anything, man. I after learning what I have I guess and then picking up some info from like canine handlers and stuff, I just it's tough for me to really honestly buy into. See just I, because I subscribe to the cover scent. Uh, I, I give it about 70% of the way. And that's strictly out of personal experience. I had uh, two does and a yearling come in on me one time. And I know the direction they came in. They saw me in the tree. And I watched them. And they circled downwind to me. And she was probably 80 yards. And back at that time that this happened, Tinks used to make a like an aerosol can of uh, persimmon scented spray. And I would get in the morning, like before I go out and spray it, like, like I was wearing like a going on a high school, going to, high school guy going to prom, just all of my clothes with it. And when she hit that downwind side, I took that persimmon spray and I went right off the side of the stand and it caught the wind and carried. And she hit downwind, got a scent of it. And then it started walking towards me and she walked into 40 yards before she decided that was too close and then turned and went back the other direction. Yeah. And I, I don't think that, uh, Fox P does the trick or some of those cover scents, but I do think that to a degree, a a cover scent is not, I don't think it's going to fully mask your scent, but I think you can take a, a doe is really what I'm worried about. I I don't think I'm going to fool a buck with cover scent, but, it's going to keep me from getting, could keep me from getting busted. Yeah. My only issue with cover sense is that about 70 to 80% of your scent profile is made up of your breath and yeah. your smell at the molecular level. I think they can, uh, when they broke it down as something like, um, they can basically smell like 1.09 parts per trillion, there, there which was... they need that. That's roughly needing about, between seven and nine molecules to identify a scent. I want to say like, so, like 10, 12 years ago, there was a company making scent killer gum. <laughs> I yeah. had, I had some of it. I know the, for a fact that somebody made it. Dude, it tasted the biggest terrible. Stomach ache, yeah. It tasted Oh, ter- I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, and honestly, when I'm, when I'm setting up and again, this is, you try really hard. It's, nearly impossible to be bulletproof because shit happens and the wind does swirl and stuff like that. But, and deer just sometimes do things that you don't expect. But, um, I've had, I've had deer, you know, I've been on hunts where I haven't showered all week yet. And I've had deer downwind of me looking across the stream. And I, I do believe that there are things that like, 
I don't think a deer multitasks well, I guess, is what I'm getting at. So, like, if you're holding his sight, then his other senses aren't necessarily shut down, but they're not working at, at full bore. And then kind of like when you got a, a buck trailing a doe or something, you got to scream at him, and sometimes even then they don't stop. It's one of those things where it's like uh, you're not you're not going to overpower it. Like he's he's on something or whatever, so... Um, but yeah, I never, I never really did any of that stuff. Although I do like those wafers. They smell good. The, the yeah. earth scent, they smell amazing. <laughs> I'd wear them just to wear them to smell good. <laughs> you, know what, like you know, what's funny though, you bring up the wafers and I, I was at work and we were working an outage and this, this lady, um, I, I was getting her house turned back on and, um, she was like, She's like, well, can can I can I pay you? I was like, no, I don't, I, no, no, you're not. I don't need a tip. Uh, she's like, well, how about I give you one of these activated charcoal bean bags, like the size of a cornhole bag? And I was like, sure. It says it's like eliminates odors, everything. I was like, all right, whatever. So, and if you keep things in a plastic action packer, and you open up your hunting clothes in that, I mean, I wash it in not scent, well, scent free like detergent there's no odor added to it no dyes no like uv just the cheapest crap like borax wash it in straight borax you know yeah. um but there's always a kind of an, a funny odor to that box oh yeah i took that charcoal the activated charcoal bean bag and threw it in there and when i opened it right before hunting season i was like holy cow it doesn't smell like that anymore yeah I was like, well, that it is always interesting to when you smell the scent free or scent eliminator stuff. It has a scent, and you're like, it's well, just, there goes that. Hey, you it's know what? The smell of hunting season. <laughs> I'm sorry, but <laughs> hey, I don't care what you say. I don't know if you've ever smelled ozone. You ever been in somebody's like, oh, like, yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. It stinks. Uh, 100%. Yeah. It's yep. like it has a distinct odor, <laughs> and it stinks. I talked to a guy that um, he was at a friend's house. Uh, cleaning their car with ozone. Her son had dumped a bunch of milk in the floorboard, and you know the heat got a hold of it. And you know, don't really have to ex- explain myself further. But uh, they hired a guy to come detail the car, and he was using mm-hmm. ozone. And I was like, "Hey, uh, do you think that could eliminate human scent?" And he's like, "Yeah, but it'd be like really unsafe, and you'd have to be in a controlled environment." And I'm like. Just said everything in my mind. All right, <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, use use a thermocell on a breezy day. Like, it's it don't pretty work. much not as effect. Yeah, it's not going to work. It can't collect. And like, what are these people thinking that the ozone is doing? Like, fucking chasing the scent down or something. Like, I don't know. It's weird. But at the same rate, I do believe that it would work in like a shooting house or you know a blind or something. But. I- at the end of the day, I just, I don't know. Not for me. I had a buddy who subscribed to the ozone with, had the, like the big thing up in the tree, had one that plugged into a cigarette lighter, kept all his stuff in a bag in his, when it was stored in an ozone bag or whatever. And, uh, I'm like, dude, like I under, I fully understand. Like you don't wear your hunting clothes to pump gas. Like that, that, that's a bad idea. You smell like gasoline. I try not to, when I, when I was traveling to and from the woods from the house, I would wear 
like comfy clothes in the truck and then change clothes when I got there and wear my hunting clothes. I'm pumping gas or getting breakfast or whatever in a t-shirt and like some pajama pants. Get to the woods, put on my hunting clothes, and then go out. But the the ozone stuff, man, dude, I couldn't stand to sit in his truck for how bad that dang ozone thing made the inside of the truck. It just it smells off, and I, I can't. If I can smell it, I know the deer can smell it. Yeah, I. Yeah, I. The only thing that I ever really do so like. I subscribe to a certain kind of scent control. So, like, if I'm hiking, kayaking, whatever, um, you know, again, your scent pri- profiles, the majority of your scent profiles made up of your mouth, uh, your breath. And so, like, if my heart rate's up, I'll sit and chill out and, like, calm my heart rate. And that way I'm not, like, <clears throat> and pumping scent into the air. Um the other thing is I'm like a Nazi when it comes to ground scent. I won't walk somewhere like I'm very uneasy about where I walk because once you walk there, you can't undo that. You're disturbing the microbes in the soil and no matter whether you have rubber boots on or not, the deer can smell that. And I have had plenty of times where it's not bothered them. And I do think there's situations. Uh, one example would be a place that's just tore up with feed sign. I think sometimes you get away with that. But overall, they can smell where you walked due to the microbes that you disturb in the soil. And I'm just really weird about that because you start getting deer cutting one way and the other way. And then before you know it, one of them's going to hit it. And then all of all of the rest of the scent game you played, you know, trying to play the thermals and the wind and everything else, it didn't even matter because Nanny Bitch is screaming at you. <laughs> yeah. So while we're talking about subscribing and stuff, how much do you subscribe to the balloon theory? Ooh. A lot. A lot. Like a trillion percent. Uh, when I'm scouting, so I don't hunt by balloons, but there's something to it. Um, when we scout here in the hills, um, more often than not, we're finding sheds and balloons are close. Like we're, we're, we're finding beds and sheds were in balloons. And then you'll notice you haven't seen a balloon in a while and you've walked like two miles and you haven't found the shed. And then you get back in it. It's, I think, I think there's something to it, but at the end of the day, like it's also super, super situational. Yeah, and that to to explain to the audience, the balloon theory is finding mylar balloons in the woods and the way they lay because they don't last very long when they go up. Yeah, uh, we we put a camera on where we found a mylar balloon and saw a bunch of bears and a buck. <laughs> but we also the reason we put the camera there is because you you killed a buck in that area the year before. Yeah, we didn't yeah. know the balloon was there the year before, but. We had pretty much uh, the buck that he killed on that island hunt the year before was pretty much a bump and dump. Uh, we had bumped him on a Friday, dumped our stands, uh, didn't hunt Saturday, and then came back uh, Sunday. Sunday morning had Sunday him dead morning, before yeah. 8 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, I it's... It's been interesting learning all this stuff. Um, 
the the balloon theory has it definitely holds but it's not like oh there's a balloon there let's go kill a big deer like it could be a smaller buck or something but um definitely a place where uh you know the thermals can die the wind can die down and collect that's weather dependent as well cuz the the balloon you find could have dropped in the middle of summer versus winter sure it's going to be different that because you're yeah. Sun's in a different place. Your overall weather pattern is different. Your thermals are going to shift because of all that. So, but it still goes back to the the Mississippi State. I mean, they have multiple bedding areas. Yeah. So that could just be one of many. Yeah. Absolutely. And really, like in the hills, the thermals do the same thing regardless of the time of year, right? Like they either go uphill or downhill. Um, now there are places where they, like when you have you know, you're on the line of like shade versus sun or you have a, a terrain feature, it can cause it to swirl. But it, I mean, again, it does that really with the daylight, uh, the heating and the cooling more often than uh, more so than the, you know, time of year, I guess I would say. So, so, how many scoreable points did that bug have that you killed? Four, uh, sorry. Um, so you uh, 12, uh, it, it had 14 points, 12, I guess would be scorable. Um, it's left side G2 was 17 and a two eighths inches, 17 Jesus. and a quarter inches. Yeah. I, I've never seen a time that long. That was when he told me that I thought he was joking. Um, <laughs> but it, it had a, but it was scored as a mainframe six. And then with just a bunch of irregular, you know, like non-typical points or whatever you'd call it. It was such a freak. I hate how they score non-typical bucks. You oh, it's a mainframe six. No, man, it's a daggum. Right. Like, yeah, it, it is what it is. Like, there is no, yeah. why has it got to have a mainframe? Right. The only they one I throw it, they should score it. The, the only one I can think of that I, you could consider it not to be a mainframe was that one that Corey Love shot where it had the one horn growing right out in the middle of its forehead. Yeah. It was almost <laughs> off a separate pedicle. <laughs> yeah, it but, was definitely interesting to watch him like figure out what the hell he was going to do because the thing had beams and points and all kinds of weird stuff going on and so just to try to figure it all out it was crazy i noticed you skull captain that is that because uh y'all have is that the, just a law with cwd or no i uh so i took it to the taxidermist like i think uh what would that have been monday so i recovered him on sunday shot him saturday recovered him sunday and then i took him to the taxidermist monday and he caped him out for me and then skull capped him so I could bring the rack back to have it scored and okay. show it show it to friends and family who didn't get to see the deer or whatever. I gotta get to where I can skull cap a deer and cape it myself because we're dealing with CWD regulations here that won't allow us to carry any bone with meat on it across the state line. State line. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something uh, I've I've done a little bit of taxidermy myself, and that's definitely a good skill to have to be able to to cap and cape a deer. Uh, my my concern is not so much killing one in Alabama and bringing it back to Florida as much as it is if I go to some place like Missouri or Ohio yeah. or something like that. Oh, yeah, 
because I don't want to drive back to Missouri to pick the you know the the head up. I, I would right. rather bring it back down here somewhere. But not reality. I mean, I got to look into other state laws because if I can drop it off at a taxidermist that I trust in Georgia, then I'll you know tape it out to a skull and and drop it off to them and have it done there. But yep, I don't know. C- CWD is something that's that's creeping in all over. I mean, we just found it in a county here in Florida which is right across the state line from where we are in Alabama. So, ah, we'll see. What what what's CWD look like up there in uh, in Ohio? We have a we have a little surveillance zone that they've I guess tested positive in. Um so it's I don't really understand it myself, but uh apparently there's some deer that have had it and now they're like gung-ho over it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not one of the people who says it's not real, but I'm at this point, it, it's taken. I want to know exactly how long it takes a healthy deer to die from CWD. Right. And then if, is it transferable to humans? Those are the two things we need to know. Cause if it takes mm-hmm. six years for a deer to die from CWD and we, and we can't catch it, then who cares? No I think a lot of it has to do with cattle farmers. Well, so the the thing is, is it, it's not one. If it jumps to cattle, or if it if they can connect it to jumping to a USDA regulated product, or jumping to humans, then you'll see money flood to it from the federal government in research. The problem is right now we don't have a jump, which I guess is a good thing, um, but it also it's it's funded by private entities and nonprofits, the research is. So it's hard to get anything done. There was a few years ago, there was somebody, there was a guy who said that he thought he had a vaccine or was on the verge of had a, had some sort of vaccine for it. And they thought that their research would lead to uh, maybe a cure for Alzheimer's, which would be great. Like Damn. if the research for CBD led to that, that's amazing. But yeah, Nothing ever came of that. Yeah, no, nothing ever came of it. So, of probably ran out of money. It's possible. If funding dries up and you can't do any more research, without, you got to have it's all cash money. Yeah. Follow the money. So, well, gentlemen, I think I'm going to have to go. Where we, it's it's about that time. Children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get them it in is, bed. It is that time. Thank you for joining us, man. I, I look forward yeah. to getting this one out, and uh, that, that's a hell of a buck you got on. You got I there. appreciate that, man, and I really appreciate you guys having me on, and uh, hopefully see you guys at the Southern Show in uh, Dalton, Georgia. I was going to say, you got here. one in uh, in Georgia. Yep. I, need, I need to look at uh, when is it? possibly getting us a booth in there. And End of June. Oh, that's fair enough. Yeah, we could probably make yeah. that. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a fun time, man be some it's tailored so the shows the mobile hunters expo is tailored to each region so it'll be a show for southern deer hunters not you guys looking at all the people from iowa and illinois all that like oh you too can kill these deer yeah Yeah. don't live in the midwest like you got to go to the midwest so well when you come to florida uh, you hit us up we'll take you to kill some iguanas and some stuff like that Dude, there that'd be go. badass. I'll I'll take you up on that, and uh, 
I'll probably get a hold of you guys sometime in the, the winter or spring, and maybe we can make that happen. That's about the best time for iguanas. Yeah, we got we got yeah. a thing for lizards down here, so come on with it. <laughs> all right. Well, boys, I appreciate you all having me on and uh, giving me your time, and I really appreciate the kind words. Thanks yes, sir. Man, it's good talking to you. It's yep. a hell of a buck. Yep. yep. Thank you. No problem. Well, have a good night. You, you too. 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 Bye bye. Well, what do you guys think? Not bad. That was a pretty good episode. You got any closing thoughts? Scout. That's all I can say. I'm looking forward to this weekend. I got to find that other SD card. We'll we'll carry that little tactic can, task can recorder with us. There you go. Oh, the one we used. Yeah. When is this yeah, episode coming out? A couple weeks. A couple weeks. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, about the only thing I've been this, able to this, focus on. This will on. be coming out uh, think, the week of Thanksgiving. Okay, well, man, it's about time to get, get in deer wood. Yeah, I mean, it's been, be shooting ducks, been time. But. But. Well, hey, man, we'll, we'll catch y'all next week. Adios. Yeah.